At the end of uh, 2002, I know it's weird to start like that in a junior soldier Sunday because none of them were born, but at the end of 2002, Rebecca and I graduated from the Salvation Army Bible College and were commissioned as Salvation Army officers. I arrived at the first corps uh, we were appointed to, and on, I think I've told you this before, my grand welcome Sunday, there were 12 people, and um, so it was a, it was a uh, different experience. Uh, Rebecca had stayed in Sydney to be near the hospital uh, for when the twins arrived, and sure enough, they were born two weeks later. But anyway, um, I arrived, uh, it was a small corps, as I mentioned, but it was well over a hundred years old. There'd been a hundred years of Salvation Army service in this core, over, uh, in this one little town. And in the, one of the first few weeks that I was there, I can't remember whether Rebecca was there at the time or not, but someone stood up in a morning meeting, remember there's only 12 people here, so it's a bit like a small group, but they stood up in a Sunday morning meeting and challenged something I said. Do you want to know what, what I said that got them a bit riled up? Do you want to guess? Where's my coffee? <laughs> oh. No, that wouldn't have gotten them rolled up. They were used to that. You know what I said? I said this, three words, good morning church. I said, good morning church. And they got offended at that. You want to know what they said? They said, we are not a church, we are an... Yeah. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Which is interesting. Which is interesting, isn't it? We are not a church we are an army. Many, many early members of the Salvation Army had a very anti-church mentality. Many of them had been converted in the evangelical ministry of William Booth, the street preaching and the rallies and things that they organised. And in the beginning, they were invited to, now that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, go to your local church where you can grow in a community of faith. You can learn more about the Bible. You can ask questions and, and gain guidance for your life. And many of them went along and they didn't dress right. Or they didn't smell right. They didn't sing the right words. Or they didn't sing in tune. And they were not accepted. And as a result, the Salvation Army began to meet together. They came back to William Booth and, and his people and they said, look, we can't go there. Can we just meet with you here on a Sunday morning? We'll, we'll help you plan the Sunday night rally. We'll do a bit of Bible study and, and things. And, and so it began. The Salvation Army began to be a community of faith. So many of the early members of the Salvation Army were a little bit anti-church. But it wasn't only for that reason. The church had become a lot more about buildings, pews, rows, uh, hymnals, doctrinal statements, liturgical practices and endless committees. Who loves a good committee? The church does. Churches love committees. The church had become inward-focused, self-obsessed, and preoccupied with judgment and moralism, rather than simply reaching the lost and hurting with the message of Jesus' love and acceptance for all. The distaste for what churches had become is what led many in the Salvation Army to distance themselves from the word church. 
and instead to call themselves and refer to themselves as a movement, as an army. And that makes sense, yeah? We can see how they would come to that point of view. However, the international mission statement, the current international mission statement of the Salvation Army begins with a sentence, the Salvation Army, an international movement, is an evangelical part of the universal Christian church. There it is, the C word, which is why we have called this series, We Are the Church, not We Are a Church. Does that make sense? We are a movement, an army, but we are the church. Now, in the, to, to, to understand what this means, we've spent the last, or we're going to spend this four-week series going back to the early days of the church, the first few weeks, in fact. And uh, in, the, in the first week, we, uh, where Rebecca led it, and she looked at the fact that the church is a Holy spirit fueled movement based on a single event, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what it was all about. In the second week of the series, we learned that the church in those early days was completely and totally outward focused. Even though they were suffering, even though they were struggling, even though they were oppressed and persecuted, they remained focused on those outside their circle, outside their community of faith. This week, we're going to look at one of the other aspects of the early church and we're going to see that they were not only uh, spirit-fueled, focused on the resurrection and focused on those outside the church, they were also bold, which ties in nicely with junior soldier renewal, being bold and courageous. So, on the day of Pentecost that Rebecca explored three weeks ago, we have records that say, following a miraculous time, an event in which the apostles, the followers of Jesus, began to speak in foreign languages, over 3,000 people joined the movement. Two weeks later, 5,000 more men, which implies roughly the same amount of women plus some children, they joined too. Now, I don't know if you can imagine the impact those kind of numbers had on the city of Jerusalem. Tacitus, a uh, Roman historian from about 50 years later, wrote that the population of Jerusalem was 600,000 people. So, a new movement, a new church of 15,000 people was fairly incredible in three weeks. It's, a, it's, it's similar as if we were to say, there's a new church here, and in Sydney, in three weeks, it grows to 40,000 people. That'll be like this, having a look at Allianz Stadium here. That'll be like saying that number of people joined a new church in three weeks. Actually, that's only a quarter of them, because that's only a quarter of the stadium. It's incredible, right? It's a big deal when you think about the numbers and how that works, and we compare it to our society. The movement was absolutely on fire. It was bold. But as it often happens, when new things happen, when new movements grow, it becomes unsettling for the status quo. It becomes, well, the Jewish rulers didn't like it. And so we turn today to Acts chapter 5, if you um, weren't following on in our wonderful video presentation. 
uh, I would encourage you to pull out your Bibles and we're going to look through the story uh, and do this. The religious leaders became envious. They arrested all 12 apostles prior. This is prior to the reading that we had. They arrested all 12 of them. They warned them to stop talking about Jesus or ordered them to stop talking about Jesus and threw them in jail. Now, something or someone happened and they were all let out of jail. They weren't supposed to be, right? So they let out of jail. And you would think that they would lie low, that they would go into hiding, but they didn't. The very next day, what did they do? They turned up in the temple talking about Jesus. That's bold, right? That's bold. There happened to be a lot of people in the temple at the time and so when the guards go to try and re-arrest them, they start to think, oh, hang on, we can't use violence, people might get hurt, we, we can't uh, cause a scene because people might riot. So, what's interesting is they, they come up to the apostles and they say, look, we need to take you in, we need to re-arrest you and we need to take you before the Sanhedrin, we don't want to cause a scene or anything, would you just come along quietly? And the apostles did. They went along quietly. Which is where we get to the point where we're at in today's Bible reading. The high priest is angry. We gave you, this is Acts chapter 5, we gave you strict orders not to teach in His name, He said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. All right, now might be the time for the apostles to bite their tongues, to pull their heads in, to not say anything. But they don't. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than, the other, than other human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead this is the phrase he probably could have left out, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince and Saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. <laughs> Don't you love them? They're great, right? Instead of pulling their head in, they double down, they point the finger, whom you killed, this is the Sanhedrin, the highest court in Jewish land. It's no wonder the Sanhedrin goes into meltdown. They are really, really angry. Fortunately, a top leader, a well-respected member of the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel, steps up and says, look, we've seen all this before. Look at Thutis, he rallied 400 men to his cause and now almost no one's with him. No one knows anything about it. Now, what about Judas the Galilean? He also rallied men to his cause, and look what happened there, nothing. And Gamaliel basically says, don't waste your breath. If, if it's not of God, nothing's going to happen, it's just going to fizzle out. But if it's of God, nothing you do is going to make any bit of difference. So they called the apostles back into the room, they had them flogged, and then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Well, that ended well. I mean, aside from being flogged. 
They weren't killed, which is probably good, right? But they were flogged. And yet they went home rejoicing because they had suffered for their faith. Well, do you think it stopped them? No. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, that is, you know, Sunday morning worship and and life groups, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Have you ever had the privilege of losing something because of your faith? Have you ever lost family? Broken relationships with family or friends, lost friends? Have you lost friends? Have you lost opportunities? Have you lost property or inheritance because of your faith? I know there is at least one member of our church who's lost property and lost everything when he and his family fled Mosul as Christians. Some of you may have had experiences somewhat approaching that, but most of us have not. Most of us have not. We live in the most comfortable, secure and peaceful time in human history. We live in the most comfortable, peaceful time and place on earth, I reckon. Some of us live in suburbs that are the most peaceful suburbs, in the peaceful city, in the most peaceful country you can imagine. And yet, our level of boldness is not the same as those in the early church. We have lost something of our boldness. I want to give you a few uh, ideas of ways in which we could be more bold, some small steps. I was thinking particularly about our junior soldiers this week, and I was thinking of some small steps that, that we could show them how to take in being bolder about our faith. Bold, first of all, bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. A Salvation Army Office, a friend of mine, lives in a city where there are lots and lots of new housing developments. New houses are flying up, it's incredible. New suburbs appearing almost monthly. And he does street ministry, so he he collects on the street and uh, says hello to people and things like that. When I say on the street, I mean in the shopping centre. And uh, often he'll find out that somebody's just moved into the area. Someone's just moved into the region. You know what he says to them all the time? Standard question. Have you found a church to go to yet? Have you found a church to go to yet? Now that's pretty simple, isn't it? It doesn't sound like it. But would you have have the boldness to do that? Would you even think of that kind of opportunity? Might be easier just to say nothing, to say, oh, thanks for your donation. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes people say to him, he, he thinks it's funny, sometimes people say to him, we aren't really church people, to which he says, neither are we. With a Salvation Army, we're not really church type people. Isn't that weird? Anyway, he's a, he's a pretty old school salvo. We're not a church, we're an army. <laughs> Bold is also taking advantages of opportunities that present themselves. 
there are lots of times and lots of points in conversations, if you're looking for them, where you get to ask someone what their, their church experience has been like. What's their church history? Are they, what church are they attending? You may think they look like a Satan worshipper or something, but that shouldn't stop you asking what church they attend, because you never know what God will do with that kind of question. I think of one of the fun examples I had of this is I had to go for some blood tests over the last 12, 12 months and uh, over about eight months was the gap between them and I saw the same uh, pathology technician person, what are they called? Blood suckers, something like that, righto. Uh, same lady and I had the conversation, I said, what church do you go to? And she says, oh, I don't really go to any church. And I said, why don't you come along? She said, yeah, I might, I'll bring the kids. And then I caught up with her again about eight months later <laughs> and had the same conversation. She remembered me, which is great. And you know, one day she might turn up. Be great. Bold is also creating opportunities. There was a guy in my call once who was uh, a bit nervous about giving his testimony. He was going to be enrolled as a senior soldier. And uh, one of the things we like to do when people are enrolled as senior soldiers is we like for them to give us a bit of a a rundown, a bit of a story about them and their relationship with God and, and where they've come to and how they've come to this decision. And he was terrified. Uh, he was, yeah, so what he did, I think a, a counsellor or a mentor suggested that he try and join like a Toastmasters group. And so he started going to Toastmasters and he was working on his testimony and, and this sort of stuff. And he decided after a few weeks that he would share his testimony with his Toastmasters group and invite them to come along. And I'm like, well, they've already heard it, but anyway, he did, and they came. It was great. You never know what the opportunities might be presented and how you can be bold in your faith and inviting. So this morning, there is a time we pray for boldness. We pray for those opportunities. We pray for the boldness to say something when those opportunities come up. We pray that we have the opportunities in front of us. That's what made the church a movement. They took hold of every opportunity, no matter the circumstances, no matter the risk, no matter if they were standing before the highest court in the land, that's where God showed up, in that boldness. We're going to ask Anne to come. We're going to sing Amazing Grace in a moment because, because it's from this one truth that our boldness stems. Okay, let me try and... Now, if, okay, if you're not a church person, if you're not a follower of Jesus and, and you wonder this, why can't Christians just leave people alone? Do you ever think non-Christians think that? The good news is most Christians do just that. You're probably around Christians all the time and you don't know it. They're undercover. But you know what? There is a group of us Christians who believe this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. 
we believe that something happened 2,000 years ago that happened for the benefit of everybody. Something different to Thutis and Judas and the others who raised up movements in the Middle East. We believe God actually revealed Himself in the person of Jesus and He did so as the culmination of all religion. All those religious rules that we've broken would all be forgiven through Him. He didn't come for church people, He came for people people. He came for you, He came for me. He came to remove the greatest sting of our greatest fear, death. And He came to offer the solution to the question, what about my sin? What about my failings? What about my faults? What about those things that everybody says in me are wrong? He came to bring dignity to everyone. From every race, from every creed, He came to clarify that every person you have ever met is of infinite value to Him.